If you remember a few weeks ago, Charlie spoke about Moses standing before God. And God has told Moses to go to Pharaoh and say, let my people go. And Moses needs some evidence or some, some confidence. And God says, what's in your hand? And what do you have in his hand? Staff. Ordinary, wooden staff, nothing special. And God said, put it before me. And when you take what is ordinary and lay it before God, he can make it extraordinary. So the whole series is about what is it in our life that we have, we have ownership of, we have in our possession or is ours, that we can lay before God. We might view it as ordinary, but when we give it to him, it becomes extraordinary. Last week, we talked about our heart. Remember that? If you weren't here, I would encourage you to go listen to that as it kind of it kind of continues the, the tone of this series. And you can do that by downloading the Orchard app on your phone and listen to every ser- sermon we've ever done. Can you imagine how cool that is? Anyone? Okay. All right. Yeah. You guys were nearly as thrilled as my mom was. It's, I don't know. Okay. And this week we're talking about something else that's in our hands. This is something in our hands that we provide an opportunity for every Sunday here in this place, but also something that we should take out of this place. Today we're talking about what's in our hand? Worship. Now, when it comes to something ordinary that's in our hands, there are a few things more ordinary to some people than worship. Oh, in fact, some of people right now are internally groaning at the fact, oh, another worship. Could be worse. Next week is money, okay? So here we go. It's worship. But know this. I'm not preaching today about your personal preference or the style or the band. In fact, I, I was kind of, I was excited that the soundboard booth was Sound booth. The sound board was broken, and I was okay with that because then we could really talk about it's not about preference, it's not about style, it's not about sound systems. We're talking about something way beyond that today because worship is important. It's important to God. Worship isn't the quality of a song, it's the quality of your soul. Worship isn't the position of your hands, worship is the position of your heart. Worship isn't your preference for hymns or choruses or music. Worship is your heart preferring God above all things. Worship is important. So today, let's look at worship. We're going to dive into an Old Testament passage. Open the Bible, page 477, Isaiah 6, or open your phone and scroll to Isaiah 6. This is a very well-known chapter, and it's... It's written by the prophet Isaiah from his first person point of view. So listen to this. And also, by the way, I said this the last service. Don't read ahead. Like I know when I, I'm going to stop us a lot of times. And those of you who like to read ahead and pretty soon you're like five pages away in the Amalekites. Like stick with me. Okay. Like when I stop reading, then look up and let's try this. Okay. Isaiah six verses one in the, in the year King Uzziah died. So here we already, we know a few things. The king of the nation is dead. Now we know he was a good king. He led people to God. Okay? And right here in 2 Kings 15.3, it says this. Uzziah did what was right in the eyes of God, of the Lord. He was a good king. Isaiah is the prophet. He's the mouthpiece of God to the people. And he's concerned about who's going to take office. Because who takes office is going to affect the nation. He has some angst about this, some anxiety The leader of the nation is gone. The throne of Israel is empty. What do we do? And we all have moments like this where we're uncertain about the future. And and, and Isaiah is probably feeling what we feel. How is this going to affect us? How is this going to affect me? 
And so it's in these circumstances, King Uzziah's death, and in these emotions, the angst and anxiety of what's next, that we continue. And Isaiah says this, And the year King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord, high and exalted, seated on a throne. Now God reveals himself to Isaiah, and it's no accident he shows himself on a throne. God is saying something here. Hey, take that down because I don't want them reading ahead. Take it down. No, no. I see all you guys looking up there like, oh, extra credit. No, none. Page 477. God reveals himself to Isaiah and it's no accident he's on a throne because God is saying something. By the way he's revealing himself to Isaiah, God is saying this. Listen, Isaiah, the king might be dead, but I'm not. And you might be afraid because the nation has no king. But don't forget, they do have a God. And your throne might be empty there on earth, but the throne in heaven is occupied by me, the king of kings. Now, some of us need this reminder, even in our own lives, that no matter who's on any throne, God's on the throne. God is showing Isaiah a lot here, and he hasn't spoken a word. Now, it might already be circled in your Bible because the first service was here. But see right there in verse 1, where it says, Lord, I saw the Lord. If it's not circled in your Bible, go ahead and circle it. Go ahead, it's okay. You can, you can write your Bible, underline and circle. Just circle it. The word here is Adonai. Adonai is used repeatedly in the Old Testament, and Adonai is a, is a title for God. It's not his name. It's a title. It means Lord or ruler. Isaiah is saying, I saw the Lord. I saw my ruler. I saw him there. But what else does he see? As we continue, it says, And the train of his robe filled the temple. There's some tidbits in here. It mentions God's robe, which is a symbol of, of royalty and supremacy. This isn't a, this isn't a shower robe. A, this is a royalty robe. It fills the temple. We learn something about Isaiah. Isaiah is in the temple. We now have a location, which re- reveals the heart of this prophet. When he gets into a hard place of angst and anxiety, where does he turn? He turns to the, prefer- the presence of God. He goes to God for wisdom. He goes to God for peace. Which asks us, when things are hard, where do you turn? Do you go to God for wisdom and peace or do you go to something else? Maybe an escape. Now Isaiah might be in the temple, but where is God? It tells us that too. It says he is high above, high and exalted, on a throne above the temple. Yet his robe fills the temple. You see, God is in heaven on the throne, but his royalty, his supremacy, his power is not contained in heaven. It spills out of heaven into the temple. Isaiah came to this place fearful, anxious about what would happen. And God is answering him clearly. It gets even better. It takes a a really cool turn. Verse 2, above him were seraphs. It says seraphim. The word here is seraphs. Now, seraphs, this is the only place in God's word that uses this word to describe these angelic beings. The only place this word is used. And in the temple, in God's holiness, in God's power, in the most sacred place in heaven, we have the seraphs in this inner sanctum. There's no place more holy, no place more sacred. And there we have these seraphs. And he goes on to describe them as we continue. It says, each had six wings. With two wings, they covered their faces. They avert their eyes because they cannot even look upon the glory or the holiness of the divine God of the universe. With two wings, they covered their feet. And this is a show of humility and and reverence. The burning one, seraph, means the burning one. 
The heart of this word, the root of this word means the burning ones. And so the burning ones knew who was in control. They knew there was God's holiness and power were far greater than their own. They knew that they were the created ones and they were in the, in the presence of an eternal God. They covered their eyes. They covered their feet. And then it says with two wings they were flying. And if you dig deep into the Hebrew on this, that means that they were flying around. It really does. And so we have this here. We have them flying with two wings, eyes covered, feet covered. What a strange angelic creature, right? He looks up and he sees this. But it goes on. Verse 3, they were calling to one another. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the word for calling here is the same word used in Genesis 1 when God is speaking the world into existence. God declared life and it happened. God spoke and there was an effect from it. His, God's declarations have tangible results. And the seraphs here are declaring holiness to the author of life. They're declaring over and over, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. And they say something that Isaiah previously had missed. You see, Isaiah could see that heaven was full of God's glory. And he said he saw the robe that spilled out of heaven and filled the temple. The temple is full of God's glory. But the seraphs go ahead one step more and they say, not just heaven, not just the temple. The whole earth is full of God's glory. You see, these seraphs have the correct perspective on God. While Isaiah, his perspective, his view of God is being shattered and remade as this vision is going. This this happens to us in life as well. You know, as you go through life and as you get, read God's word and it it goes into your heart and as you go through experiences and you, and you see more of God, as he reveals himself more and more, you, you see God more clearly. You, you can say this, I thought God's glory filled the temple, but now I see it filled the whole earth. I thought God enough was powerful enough to, to bless my food every day, but he's powerful enough to change my heart. Well, I knew God was powerful enough to save me from, from hell, but God can change an entire community. Like we, we begin to see a bigger view of God the more he reveals himself. And so we have these seraphs in the throne room of heaven singing and declaring of God's glory and holiness. And there's something in this that just inspires me. There's a thought in, hidden in here that inspires me. Because right now, right this very second, in the throne room of heaven, the seraphs are declaring, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of His glory. Right now. And with that, let me ask you to indulge me in something. Because I, what I would like, what if right now in this moment, we joined the anthem of heaven? You see, because there is an anthem in heaven, a soundtrack, and it's the sound of these seraphs. What if we just took a pause and offered our hearts and declared the anthem of heaven in this place? You guys okay with that? Stand up. Let's do a little bit of worship. Let's try something. Right now in heaven, the seraphs are declaring this. Let's declare along with them. This, I'm going to say it once and then we can all say it together. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. Let's worship in this. Let's worship along with them. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory.
Say it again. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of His glory. You can be seated. The anthem of heaven rings out. Now, just as God's declarations have effect, the declarations and words of the seraphs has effect too, as we see in verse 4. At the sound of the seraphs' voices, at the worship from their heart and their lips, the doorposts and thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Now, that's a good worship service. I always hope, I pray God does that here. Man, we start worshiping and all of a sudden just things start shaking and smoke happens. And there's always that person that panics and there's a fire, but it's not. It's just worship. When they speak, when they declare, there was a shaking and there's smoke. And where there's smoke, there's, they worship so ardently, so fervently that there, there was a shaking and smoke filled the temple. The seraphs, the burning ones. We're burning in worship, being consumed in worship. The seraphs exist to worship. They burn in worship. They knew their worship was all about God. They were not confused. They didn't think, well, maybe a little of this is for me. Like maybe I just I'd like to get a warm fuzzy when I get my worship on. Maybe it's a little bit about me. They didn't think that at all. They weren't confused. But sadly, we do get confused often. Now, I know that worship is so much bigger than what we do here on Sunday mornings. I know that. But we're going to talk about it a little bit. You see, because when it comes to moments of worship in this room, we confuse music with worship. You see, music, or good music especially, depends on the song, musicians, the beat, my mood, the distractions, the environment. While worship depends solely on what's being worshipped and our heart's response to it. You see, true worship hinges on God. Not the band, not my mood, not the beat, not the volume, not the lyrics, not other people singing around me, not me noticing my own voice, not not whether I have my hands raised or not whether they have their hands raised. None of those distractions. Worship is for God. It starts with God. It's about God. And listen to this. We have come to mistakenly believe that worship is based on variables in this room. When worship should be based on what is constant in that throne room. I don't think you heard me. We have come to believe that worship is based on the variables in this room. When worship should be based on what is constant in that heavenly throne room. Amen? Amen? It's based on who's on the throne, not based on what's happening on the stage or or here in this room. When did worship become about us? When did worship start to hinge on our mood or our our music preferences? I'm going to go a step further and say that worship isn't even about what God has done for you or what he's doing for you. Now, those things, what God has done and what God is doing, they can lead you into worship. But worship in and of itself is not based on his actions. You see, we don't worship God just because his deeds are good. We worship God because he is God and he is good. Not based on his good actions, but based on the fact that he is God and he is good. Not on what he does, but who he is. See, when you begin to think that worship hinges on what God does for you, 
then you can easily be seduced to believe that worship is based on the condition of your circumstances. Because you think when things are going well, we feel like God really smoothed these things out in my life. God, God it's pretty good right now. Yeah, God, thank you for that. Oh, praise God. But what about when things are hard? What about when happiness is hard to find? What about when circumstances are difficult and dark? Well, then God's not really smoothing things out for me. We're tempted to think that worship depends on what he is doing for us and that in our circumstances of our life. You see, our worship can dry up if it's conditional on how our life is going. You see, we worship God even when times are bad. We can worship God because he is good even when times are hard. He is good in the sunshine of life and he is good in the darkest night of the soul. He's good in the spring seasons of life where there's new things happening, exciting opportunities. And he is good in the winter of life when there's nothing new and you wonder where the life is. He is good when the grass is green. You can lay down and enjoy your life. He's good also in the, in the desert when there's nothing. God is good when you're rich and he is good when you're poor. He's good when you're healthy and he's good when you're ill. We worship God for who he is. The condition of our worship depends on him, not the condition of our lives. Worship is for God. It's about what we give him. It's about what's in our hand that we we lay down and give him our worship. But we have come to believe that worship is about something that we may get. And I would say this, worship is a good litmus test as to whether you are a religious consumer or not. A consumer wants something out of things. And we can begin to see that we are getting something out of God. When I worship, am I looking for what's in God's hand, what he can give me, or what's in his heart? Who he is. When I worship, do I want what he can do for me? I just want my heavenly father. Consumer is different than consumed. And it's hard to admit, but it's the first step for me to admit. During worship... I like to get warm fuzzies. I like when the songs I like are on. It's kind of about me and my preferences. I'm distracted. I mean, it's about me. I had to admit that so I could move past consumer to consumed. And there's some differences between a consumer in worship and consumed in worship. Here we go. A consumer, when it comes to worship, says, what's in it for me? And a consumed says, I'm here for you. The consumer says, what can I get? And the consumed says, what can I give? Hebrews 13, 15 talks about being consumed in worship and the difference of these two. Listen to this. Hebrews 13, 15. Through Jesus, we continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise. Continually offer, ongoing, throughout our day. Offer to God. Put it on the altar. Relinquish control. Lay it before him. Give it to him. And sacrifice of praise. Sacrifice is laying down something For the sake of something greater. I lay down my preferences. I lay down my distractions. I lay down my irritations. I lay down everything. I lay down my life for the sake of you, God. Because you are God. Because of who you are. When you're sacrificing, you're not being stingy. You aren't concerned with the music or the style. You are sacrificing your preference for his presence. And that's a great trade. The sacrifice of praise is the consumer killer. If we miss the sacrifice of praise, the sacrifice of worship, worship can become about us. So I have to ask, in worship, 
Am I sacrifice or am I selfish? What has more value in my heart? My preferences or his presence? Because I will sacrifice for one of them in worship. I will sacrifice the presence for my preference or I can sacrifice my preference for his presence. But I get to choose. It's in my hand. And you get to choose too. Back to the difference between consumed and consumer. A consumer shows up and says, I want to be filled up this morning. And a consumed says, I want to be poured out this morning. Consumer is concerned with the style of worship, while the, cons- the consumer is concerned with the style of worship, while the consumed is concerned about the surrender in worship. Consumer worship is based on my preferences, and consumed, I want my worship to be based on what God requires. Consumer, I have a desire for my happiness. While consumed, I have a desire just to bring God glory. A consumer says, give me a new song. Give me, play for me a good song. Play the one I like. Play me the one that gets me there. While a consumer says, I don't need a good song. Here is my good heart. We, we love a new song, don't we? Don't we love a new good song? There's nothing wrong with this. This is how we're created. In our personal lives, when that new song comes out, when that new song drops and we hear it for the first time, oh, remember when was the last time a song just got you? And you put it on repeat and you cried to it and you worshiped to it or you danced to it or you worked out to it or it's on repeat, whatever it is, it's, that's my song. This is, this is my jam. But what happens? That song that thrilled us, that captured us, after a while it, it loses its grip on our heart and we're like, well, give me another. Somebody put out an album. Please, I need a new song. And in church, we, we sing a song until it is dead, don't we? Like, like we use up a song and then, and then we, we burn it up. Like we'll, we'll have a song, we'll, let's just record us again, 10 more times. We just, song's dead, but we just keep going. Give us a new song. Give me a, give me a song that really thrills me. What's amazing to me is the seraphs, I wonder if they got, song, they got tired of singing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. I wonder if they got tired of that. Hey, God, can we have a new song? This, we've been doing this for like six millennia. Um, Coldplay's new one's out. I don't know. Amigos, somebody, let's talk about it. Let me read you out of Revelation 4. Because they have one song. Let me read this to you. Revelation 4 was written way past Isaiah and actually past us. It's in the future. It's a prophetic look at heaven. So we have a snapshot from heaven as he's looking in the throne room. And guess what he sees? He says, each creature had six wings. Sound familiar? What are we talking about here? And it says, day and night, they never stop singing. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The seraphs, the burning ones, sing the same song for eternity. For eternity. They sing one song, and it's not the song that dies or the song that's consumed. They are consumed in worship because they know worship is not based on what they're singing. Worship is based on who's on that throne, and he is holy, and he is holy, and he is holy, and he is Lord Almighty. And I'll say it again. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. And I'll sing it forever because it's always true forever. Orchard, when we worship, our worship should not be conditional based on the song. When the band strikes up, our hearts should go, oh, this one. I don't like this one. It's hard. Or, oh, this, this one. This is good. 
Our worship is because who is on the throne. Our worship is based on, on God, not the hymn, not the chorus, not the emotions that are on. You can worship when you don't feel like it. This is for free, but there are times when, when I don't feel like worshiping. And that's when my, my flesh, my body is telling my spirit who's in charge. You're tired. You're not feeling this song. You're distracted. And my spirit is letting my body and my mind have dominion over it. Did you know when we were created beings in perfection, our spirits had dominion over our body? And so the hardest thing for me sometimes in worship, when I'm not feeling it, is to just... My spirit will have dominion. I will worship anyway. And there are times, and I know that you're going to be always faking it. I'm not faking it. There are times when my body doesn't want to worship, and I, I command it to, because he is still worthy even though I'm distracted. And I engage my heart and my spirit when my body is saying, no, I'm tired, I'm distracted. And I tell it, worship, worship, because it's about who's on the throne. You have a choice. It's in your hand. Don't let the song choice take you out. Your spirit can choose to worship because he is on the throne. Consumers can just sing while the consumed bring an offering. The consumer says, I want to feel something. And the consumed says, I want to give something. Consumer's heart during worship says, this is for me. I'm feeling good about this one. And the consumed heart declares, this is me. All for you. Are you a consumer of worship or are you consumed in worship? And this is important. Your attitude towards worship reveals more about your heart towards God than we know. Our attitude toward worship reveals a lot about our heart toward God. Worship is all about Him. And if you don't think He's really worthy during this song, it's about how we see Him. Remember, it's not about the music or the lights or the volume. It's about your heart and your lips declaring that He is God and He is good above all things. If you ever find yourself irritated or distracted during worship, if you ever find yourself irritated with other people in here or distracted, I would ask you to, to just pause and, and, and intentionally check and see who are your eyes on. If you're irritated with somebody and how they worship in here, your eyes are on the wrong chair. <laughs> it's the throne in heaven that we're talking about. If you're distracted in worship, which happens a lot, right? Those lists come and those thoughts come. Put them out and go back to, back to God. If you're distracted or irritated in worship... Catch yourself. Turn your gaze back to the throne. Isaiah goes to the temple for prayer and sees a vision explode before him. And how does he react? I mean, this is the moment. His eyes are full of the vision of the Most High's throne room. His nostrils are full of the smoke from the seraphs. His ears are ringing from their worship as the whole place shakes. Surely, this is when Isaiah gets Pentecostal and raises his hands or falls in the aisle and like a sausage in a hot pan just rolls around and he gets it finally authentic worship right this is that moment listen to his response woe to me he cries he sees God and his the first thought is oh no woe to me I'm ruined I'm a man of unclean lips now why would Isaiah see God clearly and, and think of himself and his sin because when we see God clearly we see ourselves clearly In God's presence, we see ourselves as we should. 
We can excuse a lot of things. We justify a lot of stuff in our life. But when you get in the presence of God, you see sin for what it really is. And you know what it is? It's sin. And in God's presence, those things are exposed. Now, in that we go, oh, that sounds like a fun trip. Sign me up for that. In God's presence, there is no condemnation. It's an opportunity to adjust your life, to, to lay down things, and for him to, to, to fill you with things. But Isaiah's response wasn't hands in the air. It was, oh no, it was more like the seraphs. He said, what he's stating here, if you read through this, is he's saying, I am nothing. I am nothing. And it's not because he's worthless. It's because he sees that God is everything. His view of God has just been expanded tenfold. He says, my eyes have seen the king, the Lord Almighty. My eyes have seen the king, the Lord Almighty in verse 5. Now remember in verse 1, I asked you to circle the word Lord. Now look at this Lord in verse 5, the very end. What's different about it? Anyone. All caps. Now, we don't know what that, in the age of text, that just means he's shouting it, right? That means he's excited about something. He needs an emoji there, right? This is a different word. When you see all caps, Lord, and you see lowercase, Lord, this is a different word. See, the word that he used earlier, capital L, lowercase O-R-D, means Adonai, which is the title for ruler. This is a different one. This is the proper name for the God of Israel. This is God's personal name. This is the name that he, he told the people like Noah and Moses and Abraham and so on. Capital L-O-R-D is the name Yahweh. yod heh It's the, the name of God that he tells his people. In other words, Isaiah's view of God just went from Adonai to Yahweh. It went from my Lord to, to you are my personal God. Oh my goodness, look. Look how much bigger. It went from a title to a name. Through this worship experience, Isaiah sees God all the more clearly. He's got a bigger view of God, but not only a bigger view, he has greater intimacy. He's using a personal name. You see this? He's talking to God differently, about God differently. And this is what happens in worship. In worship, our view of God can be expanded, but our intimacy with God can become closer. As you are giving him praise and worship and sacrifice and praise, and he... He's back and forth. There's an intimacy that comes from worship. And we see that here with Isaiah. A greater view of God and a greater intimacy. And perhaps some of you here, you have a dry faith. It's a dry, dusty faith and nothing has really revived this. Worship can be a resuscitation on your faith sometimes. As you correctly align yourself with heaven and say, you're God, not me anymore. This throne of my life, it's yours. Because you're on the throne. Worship correctly aligns ourselves with heaven. Maybe today your view of God needs a little expanding. And maybe today your, your view of God had a little box around it. I would bet, like me, your view of worship has a box around it. It should kind of look like this. And I don't know all that it should look like, but I know when I see what it shouldn't look like. And I don't like when those people do that. Like we have a box, and this is, how, this is, this is what I'm comfortable with. So God's probably, God's probably like me. He's probably comfortable with this. I remind you, it's not about preference, it's about presence. For many of us, worship is something so ordinary, we hold it for three or four songs on Sunday, and we don't give it much thought. But worship, when sacrificed, when laid down at the feet of Jesus, is something extraordinary in the way that it affects your heart and soul and mind and strength. And it changes us, and it changes the way we see Him. Remember, it's about God, it's not about us. So we put our hang-ups and our preferences and our distractions and our irritations aside. 
I want to remind us that communion is worship. On the cross, Jesus' blood was shed, his body broken, and this is the symbol of that. Partaking of communion is is a worship moment. For us, worship happens because of the cross. Because when life stops being good, the cross is still great. As your life goes through seasons and through phases, the the cross declares God's goodness. When your life becomes dim and dark, the cross stands as a lighthouse of love and sacrifice calling us home. That Jesus loved us enough to give his own life. If you're ever here and you're struggling to engage your heart in a song or in a moment, look to the cross, the symbol of God's love for us. That Jesus would endure that, give up his life that we may have it. A sacrifice worthy of our life and a God worthy of our worship. As we take communion, and it's an open table. You don't have to have any classes. If you want to come and take communion, this is open for everybody. And as you get it, you go back to your seats and you sit there. Thank him for what he has done. And then in your heart of hearts, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty, whose body was broken so that my heart could be made whole. Jesus, we thank you for the cross. And we worship on this side of the cross. We worship you for what you've done and who you are. And so I pray as the orchard father, I pray for us as a people, we would mature in our hearts to worship you, not based on our preferences, not based on what happens here, but based on you. Father, guide us to be this kind of people. Hear our hearts as we pray and worship. In Jesus' name. And everyone said...